Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to Talking with Traders. This is the fifth season of the podcast to take us up to the end of 2022. Thanks to all our loyal listeners for returning and welcome to all our new listeners. As before, IG Markets have come on board as sponsors of this podcast. We're truly grateful to have such an award-winning CFD provider as sponsor alongside us. In this season, I'll welcome back some guests from the previous seasons of the podcast to get their updated market views, and we'll also be bringing in some new guests to the microphone too. As always, the aim with these podcasts is to give you the opportunity to listen to differing market views and to assist you with your own trading and investing education. So with that in mind, let's get straight into another episode of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. This week, I am delighted to welcome a new guest onto the podcast. He's new to our podcast, but not really new to the financial com uh, community in South Africa. Quite a big media presence. His name is Petri Riedlinghuis. Petri, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Garth. It's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure talking to you again, man. It's been yeah, a while. It has been a while. We were just saying before we got onto the recording that we, we last spoke in 2020, so about two years ago since we yeah. last spoke. And and you and I have interacted over the years on various different levels. Obviously, we you know both markets people and I suppose mix in similar circles in the markets. So uh, it's been a while, but it's good to catch up with you again and uh, and and to hear about how you're doing with Herenia Capital, but also just to get a little bit more about yourself. Uh, and I guess to that extent, what I always do do with a new guest on the podcast is in two minutes, you know, take us back to your, your sure. beginnings, what got you into the markets uh, and give us a little bit of a sketch of, uh, of the path that your careers followed to get you to this point where you've got your own firm and you're managing clients money. So two minutes go. Okay, in two minutes, um, I worked, I started working sort of the barman kind of stuff. Then I worked for a construction company and they fired me because I was driving around the TLB instead of doing whatever it was I was supposed to be doing on site, which was a lot of fun, I'll have you know. Um, but uh, yeah, then I was kind of stuck at my dad's house, you know, very young, didn't really know what to do. A friend of mine told me about this, you know, check out this Forex stuff, pips are dollars, dollars are pips. It made no sense. I got a demo account. I was hooked. Uh, from that point, I kind of, everything that I did was with the goal in mind of, I want to do this, you know, and every decision that you make is kind of one of, this is a stepping stone. And my goal is to get across the river. Is this next choice taking me closer to the goal or further away from the goal? And, you know, step accordingly kind of thing. Um, so as you know, I moved at some one point to Durban. Uh, back to Joburg, moved to Cape Town, back to Joburg, Cape Town again, then back to Joburg. So there was a bit of a 10-year provincial tour, if you will, um, chasing the dream, trying to find uh, just opportunities in stockbroking firms, hedge funds, uh, prop trading firms as well. And uh, yeah, at sort of at some point, uh, I started a business. This was about almost seven, eight years ago now. And uh, we're still here. Hey, hey. Still here. So that's the that's the that's the two minute journey in a nutshell okay all right well thank you i think you did it in well under two minutes good to hear um, <laughs> but what, what you mentioned there which is interesting and i've obviously followed your career as you've moved around and it's been hard to keep track of you i won't lie moving from cape town <laughs> to durban to cape town to 
Joburg and Durban and Cape Town back again, all over the show. I never knew where you were really. But uh, you mentioned that you've been in a couple of prop firms and you've had you know, tried to get an in in various different places. I, I have to say, I really do admire your tenacity because I, I know it's not been an easy journey for yourself. Uh, you've had various different experiences in different prop firms. And some of those have worked out and some of those have not worked out quite as well as you would have liked, right? Uh, but yet you keep coming back and you keep trying. And 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 it certainly appears from the outside now that you've kind of found your groove and that your Herenia Capital Advisors has got quite a, you know, quite a media presence. You certainly seem to be out there and in people's faces in a good way and getting a reputation. Um, and I presume attracting clients along with that. What I want to talk to you about though is that part about prop trading firms and your experience in prop trading firms because I think a lot of people listening to this podcast may either A, not know what a prop trading firm actually is or B, maybe they do know what it is and they'd be interested to getting involved in one and joining a prop firm but don't really know how to go about it and also don't know, you know, what are the pros and cons of, of a prop firm? So from your perspective, you know, tell us a little bit about your time in prop firms. You can mention names if you want to, or you don't, sure, have to, I don't, I don't, mind, don't want yeah. to. It's up to you. I mean, uh, uh, you know, um, but you've, you've worked in a couple of prop firms. So tell us about your time in each of them and how hard worked out for you. Okay. I'll give you some more background, I think leading into it as well. So uh, at some point I realized that, you know, trading and stockbroking, it's amazing how over time your goals change, right? So initially the goal was, I want to be a stockbroker. And then as you go further down that path, you go, well, I want to be a trader. And as you go further down that path, you go, well, maybe I should be you know, an asset manager or whatever the case is. So the goal keeps kind of shifting and changing. So initially it started with, you know, I wanted to be a stockbroker. So uh, I got a job at a bank, uh, at a big bank working um, sort of, you know, part of the after hours team and whatever. And I think that if I had stayed there, I could have done relatively well, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I left the bank to go work at a company that sells courses, right? Now, over the years, I've come to learn that some courses like yours, for example, are credible and worth doing. And some courses are not worth the paper that they're written on, right? Um, And, you know, I'm all for people educating themselves. I think they just need to be very selective or very careful around what they choose to pay for and what they choose not to pay for, right? Uh, in any case, so I worked at this um, this uh, sort of training company where we would sell courses as a sales guy, right? And that was cold calling and literally uh, hard sales to sell these trading courses. And essentially, in a relatively short period of time, I sold one of every course, Right. And every course I sold, I could then accompany my client to the course. So I could do all the courses for free, basically. Right. Yes. And then when I had uh, done all the courses, I thought, okay, well, now I know my business. Uh, you know, I've done all the courses. I'm a trader now. And I went to a firm in Johannesburg. At the time, the office was still in Lova. I'm not sure where it is now, uh, called Kratos Capital. Right. And I think it was four or five months and I had to like sell everything I had to pay the margin calls. It was, it was a bad experience, man. I have to admit, I met some really good people. I met some really good traders. Um, there, there's some crazy stories that I, it was a real eye opener for me to see, uh, you know, what that's like. And, um, but the, the reality is I didn't was ill prepared. 
I had no idea what I was walking into. I wasn't well enough capitalized. Um, and, you know, they were very kind to me and they were very helpful. But at the end of the day, I hadn't, I didn't have the skill set I required to do that. Right. Um, and I learned a number of different difficult lessons there. Uh, after that, I went to Durban for a bit, worked at a, at a uh, sort of stockbroking firm there, then Cape Town, worked at a, uh, at a hedge fund there. Then I headed up a trading desk for a firm in Johannesburg. Thereafter, I went back to Cape Town to work at another uh, prop trading firm. So now this year, th this time around, I've now got a few extra years of experience. Uh, I've sort of found a groove in terms of swing trading and longer term stuff and, you know, technical analysis I became quite proficient at. Uh, and I thought, okay, it's to have another go at um, at the intraday trading stuff. And I think this second time around, I was at Storm uh, in, in Cape Town. Right. And the second time around, I think, was a lot more educational for me than the first time around. Um, firstly, the amount that I learned in that room and from those traders are, it, it's hard to quantify. It is a huge amount of stuff that I learned, not just about the market, but, but about myself, uh, about uh, how I make decisions, all sorts of stuff. During that time, I'd worked with a um, sort of a peak performance coach, uh, uh, psychologist, I suppose, right? as well to try and figure out how my own brain works, how I make decisions. Uh, I think the most difficult lesson I learned there was that I'm not an intraday trader, right? It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun, and some people can make enormous amounts of money that you will hear the stories and you think that, you know, the people are lying. It is extremely uh it's like really out there some of the stuff that these guys can do um and with the level of consistency that they can do it with but the reality is that that is like one out of a hundred thousand people um that have the ability to do that and i don't think it's maybe not necessarily the ability but maybe the dedication that they put in i mean if you listen to some of the stories of the successful traders at you know either of these two firms they've been doing it for many 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 years right uh, and they all started really struggling and really having to to go through. There's not a single successful trader I know today that hasn't got some sort of a story of extreme personal sacrifice that they had to go through to get there, right? Mm. Uh, and I think that to kind of bring that closer to your question, what a lot of people do is they look at trading and they think, well, you know, there's these guys that make you know, millions of rands uh, every year or millions of dollars every year trading and they live this lifestyle and whatever. I think that there's a misconception between the reality of what uh, a full-time trader's life is, whether that be an intraday trader or a swing trader or even someone who's a more positional type uh, portfolio manager type thing. There's a lot of, a lot of people, I think, that fall in that category mm -hmm. where you have a slightly... I want to say more robust portfolio and you kind of position trade six months, 12 months, and you live off your portfolio, but you don't have to actively, you know, scratch at it every single day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, wherever your niche is, the, the, the way that it's sold to you. And I mean, you know, this, I suppose, as well as anyone, because you're in the same space where you're trying to help people by giving them the tools that they need to do this. Uh, but you're up against, people who are complete charlatans, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And are out there and are saying to you, well, it's really easy. You know, you just got to pay me 10,000 Rand or whatever it is. And you need no experience. And, you know, you follow these three rules and trading is for you. Mm. And I think that perception is created where the reality is 
that it's not that at all. There was there was a statistical study done. I think it was 2018 that it was published. Um, I did a presentation on it. That's an interesting story as well. But I did a presentation on it, and I think they tracked. I mean, I'm going to round up 20,000 people. It was 19646. So 20,000 people they tracked uh, doing intraday trading. Right. And over a, a 300 trading day period. So that's quite a long time, right? It's like two, three years. Yeah. And um, yeah, 47 made profit. Out of 20,000. Out of 20,000. <laughs> okay. 47 made profit. And only three of those made more than minimum wage. Cheapest. So that really okay, and then the one guy was making two hundred dollars a day. You know, yeah. so two hundred dollars a day, convert that to rands. That's a good living, right? Yeah, sure. So yeah. one out of twenty thousand was like living the dream, yeah. and then everyone else was paying for it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the reality, and I think that people don't necessarily see that. The, the prop firms are tremendously helpful. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Not so much because they take you and teach you things. You learn from osmosis. You're in the room. You speak to the guys. You you speak to the traders. You learn how they think. You learn what they look at, you listen to them talk, that is immensely valuable. Mm. But I, you know, it comes with a caveat that, you know, the first two years that you go sit there, you're just trying to break even. Yeah. Right. If you can make it through the first like two years, then maybe you can start making a little bit of a little bit of profit. And maybe after four years, you start making mm. a decent amount of money. And if you look at a lot of the guys that go in, there's a lot of well, not with all the firms, but, you know, there's quite a bit of churn where people come in, you know, spend about a year or two there and leave. Right. And, you know, in two cases, that happened to me twice. Right. Yeah. That I went into one. I didn't even last two years. I didn't even last six months, you know, because yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just ran out of money. Yeah. And I think that first time I came to you a few times and I was like, hey, God, I need help with the trading. What am I doing wrong? Here's my trades. Bah, stack of paper. And it's like, yeah. you're like, how long is this? I'm like, this is one day, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And I remember it, uh, it was pretty, quite a lot of trades. You were actually- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's intraday trading. So I think that, um, I think that one of the more important things if you're new and starting out is you've got to understand that one, this is like, if you want to do this full time, you don't learn to become a doctor in a weekend. Yeah. Right. Mm. Uh, and if you want to earn doctor kind of money from the market, which is why people want to do this, right? Mm. It's going to take you many, many, many years. And it's going to take you a lot of hard work and dedication to do this. This is not just, uh, it's also not just, you know, learn to do technical analysis. Okay, cool. Now you learn to do technical analysis, so you can identify trades. But there's now this fundamental and macroeconomic backdrop that comes with that as well. So, yes, okay, the chart says this, but then, you know, a president opens his mouth and changes the course of of history kind of yeah. thing or uh you know um a global pandemic hits yes. or you know some sort of weird catalyst that you didn't think about and it changes everything mm-hmm. uh, and then when you start taking the trades you have to realize that there's also this emotional component about the way that you make decisions why do you take positions the size you do why don't you stop out when you're supposed to uh you know why do you uh compound losses or what are the things that influence me to make decisions and the emotional impact of losing money or making money or, you know, this is also dangerous. If you make 80 grand in a day, um, you know, tomorrow morning, your brain works differently, yeah. right? Yeah. So the chances of you giving back 30 or 40 of it is massive. Yeah. Or more, so, or all of it, you know. Or all of it, right? Because yes. that's, um, that's a common thing, right? Is that, I mean, I know when I was younger growing up here, my best months were always followed by my worst months. Exactly. And why? Yeah. Because... I come out thinking I'm a hero and I know everything about the market. 
and what happens then that's when you get the market will show you that you don't know exactly you get solid dose of humble pie thrown in your face and and i think that's it right and you mentioned the word emotion i mean that's i think the, the hardest part about trading is that it's it's getting control of your emotions it's like yeah. I said, it's not you know technical analysis it's a tool fundamental analysis it's a tool these are all tools but i guess yeah if we had to draw a comparison you know it's a tool like a like a a, a wonderful carpenter might be a, a great craftsman with you know He's got the tools, but he's also got the skill and the know-how to use those tools correctly. And in trading, yeah. it's the same, right? You can have the tools, so you can have a technical analysis package. You can have, you know, news feed and fundamental information coming your way. Doesn't mean that that makes you guaranteed success. It's 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 a tool to do the job, but it's how you use the tool that determines whether you're going to be successful or, or not. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's one of the things to that... Uh that you learn in the, well, that I learned in the prop firms as well, is that, you know, just because I'm now in this firm, I've got like the best trading platform. I've got a low latency thing. I've got the lowest fee structure, uh, you know, on earth. It doesn't mean that I actually am equipped to be able to do this. Yeah. And yes, I've now got at this, by the second run in the prop firm, I've, by that time, I've had many years of experience of, you know, managing people's money and uh, running a trading desk, running like a, like a stockbroker, a whole stockbroker desk for a firm in Joburg. And all these things, and you realize that none of that actually helps you make better decisions. No. Right? Yeah. You still get stuck, uh, you know, down 30 grand of the day looking for like a Hail Mary swing to get you green so that you don't have to settle this 30 grand bowl that you worked up for yourself, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, day trading is not necessarily for everyone. But I think you asked about, um, you know, what do prop firms, how can they sort of, you know, guys kind of look, at these prop firms and think this is what I want to do. So what's, what's the benefit of a prop firm? Yeah. And I mean, there are very clear benefits. Like, yes. like I said, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but uh, for people who are, are cognizant of the fact that they, that one, this is a really, really difficult task to do mm-hmm. and are willing to be disciplined enough to stick to the rules that this prop firm gives you. So for example, don't lose more than two grand in a day. I mean, you know, two grand for some might sound a lot bigger or might sound a lot smaller for others. Who knows, right? But it's a good rule. Like if you lose two grand, go home. Yeah. Uh, if you are willing to stick to those rules and you are willing to be uh, sort of patient with the process and and really disciplined around your approach and put in the work, mm-hmm. I think a prop firm can be extremely, extremely helpful because it gives you a number of things. It gives you a community of people that one, understand what it is that you go through yeah. uh, to really want to see you win, mm. right? Because they're all in it just like you. Um, and, uh, you know, if there are 20 pairs of eyes all looking for opportunities in the same place, it's a lot easier to spot opportunities. Sure. So there are sometimes, you know, in, in one of the, you know, prop firm or whatever, somebody screams out some stock. You don't even have to think. I know it's that person. He's screaming this buy. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> oh, the sense came out. Okay, like okay, I'm selling now. Thanks. I made four grand. Yeah. You know? So um so that camaraderie and teamwork is something that is uh extremely beneficial of, of being in a prop firm. And obviously also the fee structure, right? It's yes. also but again, that's not necessarily for everyone. If you're not a really high frequency trader, the you know, it's not really gonna help you that much. Yeah. Yeah. What about the cons? I mean, you've given us some nice pros about a prop firm there. 
What are the cons? You're listening to Talking with Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. Cons are sometimes they can be a bit of groupthink, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so that happens. Um, also, there are fixed costs, right? So... Yes. Um, so, for example, that uh, I don't know if you want to talk about sort of fee structures and that kind of thing. Give us but a generally because I do want to talk about that, but and I know it can vary from place to place, and and firms will you know tailor uh, yeah. structures for different people's needs. But so, yeah. give us a just a sort of an overview. I mean, there's a standard desk fee. In so generally, places. there's a there's a fixed right. desk fee, uh, which is around ten or so grand a month, right? Uh, and that should cover your data. So, I mean, and you know what, I've interrogated this because I've now looked at this from many different angles and like you try to reverse engineer. Yes, you're on the other side. You know, of it now. You know how they do this. Um, the reality is the data feeds are expensive, hey, for the yeah. because you buy that data directly from the JSC. Yeah. And then you've got to have your own server. You've got to co-locate that server in the JSC basement. You've got to run software on that server that you've got to license and this and that. It is enormously expensive to set up one of these operations. Yeah. So I understand the logic behind why the fee structure is the way that it is, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So generally there's a fixed uh, desk fee. So this will cover, you know, your computer, the software, the data, you know, access to information, all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, some places offer lunch, you know, so you can pay a, a you know, a refreshments fee and then you get breakfast and lunch every day. Uh, some don't, some do. Um, then there's generally a profit share agreement as well. Yeah. So depending on how, um, you know, for, for some firms, there are a funded versus non-funded um, option. So if you fund yourself, yes. then you are generally on an 80-20 split. So you keep 80% of your profit. Yeah. The firm takes 20. Okay. Uh, if the and, firm... And if you, just so that I understand that you you fund yourself. So you stick your, your cash in whatever that I put my own be. money in my own code. They, account, they yeah. then what? They leverage you up. So they'll give you... They leverage you up, yeah. Use their balance sheet to leverage you up. Okay, Correct. so that's the benefit, and that's why you would be willing to give away eighty percent of your profits. No, well, you keep, give away twenty percent of your profits. Sorry, you keep giving, sorry, giving yeah. away twenty, keeping eighty. Yeah. Yes, okay. Um, and also because if you look at the, so generally there's two different ways, and I think the JC has now changed it from. Uh, I'm not sure if they actually did change it in the end, but there's two different ways of doing it. You can either have a fixed hit cost uh, per transaction, yeah, or you can do like a, a percentage uh, basis points based charge. So I think it's now gone to basis points as the standard. Uh, I don't know. I, I must just have to check. I remember there was some talk about it. I think it is basis points as a standard now. But before that, it was like a fixed hit cost. So you would pay like 17 Rand, or depending on the firm, depending on your deal. Yeah. It can vary from like 13 to 17 Rand or 20 Rand or whatever. So let's work for 17 Rand uh, as an example. It's also variable on this on the the value that you're trading and the the price of the equity. So Nasbash, a single hit might be 28 Rand. As where a first round a single hit might be 17 and 50. Yeah. So depends on a, on a number of different things. But um, so that single hit cost is irrespective of the value traded, how many transactions are settled in one matched trade? Or how, you know, that every trade matched has a fixed cost. Right. So if I bid for a thousand Anglos, for example, and somebody sells to me a thousand in and somebody else and you on the other side see a thousand bid, a thousand sell, bang, match one. One order execution, 
uh, that's 20 bucks. Or, yeah. you know, let's use 17 rand as an example. That's yeah. 17 rand for your hit cost. Yeah. Um, or if somebody, if I go bid for a thousand Anglos and somebody sells to me, you know, somebody sells 200, somebody sells 300 and somebody sells 500. That's now three hit costs right. or three hits. So now I'll pay 17 and 50 times three. Okay. So that is hugely cheaper than, um, you know, a basis points charge yeah. of 20 basis points. If it were a CFD or 50, if it was an equity or some places are charging 65 or 70 or whatever. Right. Mm. Um, so that is massively, massively cheap. So if you start thinking, well, okay, I'm paying away 20% of my profit, but I now have the ability to profit from a 0.1% share price. Move. Yeah. Now suddenly the doors open because you look at, um, you know, you look at uh, the typical CFD account, like minimum 50 rand a trade because you've got to cover fixed debt costs yeah. um, or 20 basis points. Um, per trade. And generally in there is like a huge supply chain of people, prime brokers, banks, intermediaries, platform providers, everybody needs to get paid in that equation, right? Yeah. 20 basis points is like very thin margins, but yeah. anyway. Um, so, you know, if you take that trade at say 20 basis points, the share has to move 0.4% for you to break even. Yeah. Okay. So you can buy it here, sell it there, and you're at break even if it's up just under half a percent. Yeah. If your if your if your basis points charge at a at a at a prop firm, so you either have fixed head cost or a basis points charge, and then you might be paying like three, maybe four, two and a half, three, and that sort of depending on how much volume you do. It's a variable cost; it's never mm. sort of fixed, right? Okay. But let's say uh, you do it for four basis points. So now, in less than 0.1 percent, I can make a profit. Yeah, because my cost is 0.08 in and out, mm. and um, at 0.1. I'm making profit as where everyone else at 0 0.4 aren't even breaking even yet. Yes. So now suddenly I can trade a 10 cent range on yeah. first round okay. and I can make money. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, where you go bird for 5,000 offered for 5,000 bang, bang, bang advances between the two all day. And you, that was a, that was a not well before Stein of collapsed. That was a good, uh, that was a good strategy. It would range in 10 or 20 cents and you could just play that range the whole day. Right. Yes. And um, that a retail trader wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. So, to me, that justifies, okay, well, you give away some of your profit, but still you're making more than you would be if you were a retail trader trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it depends on also different firms. Like if you have some firm might uh, fund youngsters, um, there's a specific profile of people that they're for, uh, you know, sports uh, people, sports-minded experience and that kind of stuff, whatever. Uh, and they might then fund one or two of these individuals. And then that basis then... Obviously, the profit share is a very different equation until such time that the capital invested is returned and whatever else. Yeah. Um, but that's also quite an interesting thing. I don't know if many guys are still doing that, to be honest with you. I think yeah. the market's been a bit tough mm. um, okay. over the last couple of years. All right. Super. Now, you, you're also quite involved with the education of many traders. Yeah, I think you help, you've helped other traders through the years in some of the work that you've done. I mean, you mentioned that the success rate is low. We all know this. It's not not new information. I mean, you go onto any of these CFD provider websites and they'll tell you that, I mean, right now, I know IG markets are showing 77% of the clients sure. lose money. Okay. Yeah. And, that's, and, I know, and I watch that number. It ranges between 70 and 80% all the time of, of traders that lose money through the firm and legislation states that they have to disclose that. So all the CFD providers do it and they all show a similar number. Okay. So, yeah. so, so it means like 
you know, three out of four people on average lose money trading these leveraged products. And that's not to say that the other one out of four are making a fortune and living on yachts. Not yeah, at all. They're, they're mostly those. breaking even. There's one or two yeah. that are making a fortune and living sure. on yachts. But... It's like everything, right? It's like professional golfers. Like there's lots of hackers like me and then there's one or two, you know. That are Tiger Woods, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah, right. So it's the same with every every uh, profession in, in the world, I guess. Um, there's a few that really, really make it big and are incredibly successful. Trading is no different. But in your experience with retail traders, what are the main major pitfalls that that are the reasons why the success rates are so low? I think there's a couple of things, and I, you know, I'm obviously very guilty of these too um, over the years, and even this year has been really hard. <laughs> I won't lie. Um, it's not really knowing when to step away from the market, um, particularly in more difficult conditions where, you know, you feel um, that you have to be involved all the time. Um, I think also retail traders tend to overtrade. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time they just trade the wrong stuff. Um, I know that it's, it's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea, but OTC Forex products are not your friend guys it's if you're listening out there and you need to hear this you need to hear this like it's yeah. not your friend uh equity derivatives yes they're more expensive to trade uh, because you know there's all sorts of settlement costs to get these things traded through the exchange and all sorts of things but and you know the counterparty is another person or a very large institution yeah. now you trade some over-the-counter uh you know let's call it a forex derivative or a crypto derivative is the, the latest greatest uh you know in the pot and uh, suddenly a company like FTX just goes down, yeah. right? Who's your counterparty? Um, a lot of these things are designed to for you to lose, particularly in the Forex space. So the bigger and more reputable companies, you know, some are multinational listed entities. Those are generally pretty safe because they're under an enormous amounts of scrutiny from various regulators across the world, right? But every now and then these like sort of Forex trading platforms pop up um, and they're all kind of trade, you know, based around MetaTrader four or five or whatever it is. And uh, you know, th those instruments have like five hundred times leverage. Like, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. yeah. You know, I got a hundred bucks. You're gonna give me five grand's worth of risk or fifty grand's worth of risk <laughs> with my hundred bucks. Like, how? What is my chance of success if I, if that instrument I buy moves just a little bit, all my money's gone. Yeah. Like that is the trap, right? So I think um, a lot of the time, and I was guilty of it, I still sometimes am, I get too excited and I want to trade too much and I want to trade too big and I want to trade too, you know, want to be in and out, in and out the whole time because if, you know, I'm a trader, I'm supposed to be trading. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the the thing to do if you're new is to, is to just watch. You know, again, lesson learned from a, from a prop firm. It's just watch. Just watch the market for six months and, track the stuff on a sheet of paper and get your excitement done on a demo account. And then when you eventually do hit the market, remember your job is to survive and to protect capital, not to make money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and stay away from the forex stuff, trade stuff that you understand, right? I mean, the advice I think that I even got from you many years ago, pick five stocks, mm -hmm. just five stocks that you follow and you know everything about, you know? Um, 
you know when their results are, you know what their previous earnings were, you know what projects they're busy with, you know the average daily traded volume, you know where the support resistance was. Yesterday you were watching it, there was a guy buying it at 12 Rand or 15 Rand or whatever the price is, nonstop. You know, five things that you know very, very, very well and trade those and only those and only trade valid setups. Don't trade because you're bored. Don't trade because you feel under pressure that, oh, I have to do something. Um, you know, you have to, a lot of people emphasize, oh, you need to have a strategy. And yes, you do need to have a strategy, but your strategy can be somewhat fluid mm -hmm. as long as you are ensuring that you are taking either asymmetrical opportunities where you know, the payoff is significantly larger than the than the potential risk, uh, or you have a firm understanding of what you're getting yourself into. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's very helpful. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it it is helpful. It, it it certainly is. You talked about strategy, and this is something I wanted to ask you now. I mean, in terms of your own trading um, mm. and the, the the sort of routine that you follow, I mean, something I see that you put out uh, each week, I think it's every week, um, on, on Twitter, you publish it, and then you can click the link where you go to your, what you call your weekly game plan. Mm. Um, and that's a couple of stocks that you've analyzed technically. Sometimes it's not only stocks, it could be gold, or it could be a you know a commodity or a currency or a whatever. Um it's interesting. I mean, I see, I, I like the work that you do there. And I find that that analysis is actually quite good. And a lot of the time, I find that my thinking concurs actually with the analysis that you that you've done. But uh, obviously, that talks to some sort of a routine, right, that you're doing that on the weekend. But yeah. can, you know, does it go deeper than that? What does your typical routine look like at the start of a day before you get into that trading arena? Have you got a specific a routine so, that you yeah. follow. And, then, and the other thing is <laughs> um, do you have a playbook that dictates what a trade looks like to you or is it sort of yeah and, and which which trades are are higher probability of working yeah. out and which are not yeah. so yeah i do have the, uh, a semblance of a trade of a sort of a playbook mm. um where you kind of keep track of you know this trade was this setup uh, and you just log all the stuff in a spreadsheet basically right. and then you can at a later stage say okay show me the success rate of all the you know asymmetrical or the flat top triangles every time i traded a bullish break on a flat top triangle how many times did i get that right yeah. and then you try to avoid the ones that you have low success rate and sort of size up on the ones that you have high success rate on right right yes um but i think that the routine oh and it's it was tough to maintain i mean we had a whole uh, pandemic and stuff and i'm really only starting to get back into it now um is i'm i started doing a bit of yoga right so you know wake up nice and early and do some some yoga vibes gets you nice and uh sort of balanced for the day mm -hmm. uh and then on the weekends basically go through the chart also subscribe to a number of different um we'll call them research aggregators yeah. where um you know they get tons of research institutional research they summarize it for you nicely and they they present it in a different format uh, some, uh, you know, there's lots of like, there's great newsletters and there's not great newsletters, you know, uh, the, the good ones are worth paying for, um, the bad ones promise instant riches. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so there's a couple of newsletters and stuff that I try to read, uh, you know, sort of, you know, some of them come, uh, once a week, some of them come once a month. Uh, so I try to read those when I get them. So generally after I've published the weekly game plan, then on Monday morning, I'll get a, a very interesting newsletter. Which sometimes then I realize like, wow, this is what I thought on on Sunday. And then on Monday, mm, maybe I might have gotten it wrong, you know. Okay. So that's quite an interesting uh, exercise sometimes. And then just to make sure that I go through the entire, uh, at least the top 40, 
every every week. So on Sunday morning, you know, you do your stuff, you get your, your little yoga vibes done and uh, done and dusted, grab your coffee, and I go through every single chart. And for the most part, not a lot changes. Like you'll see that a lot, a lot of the time I'll have drawings on the chart and I won't change them for weeks or months at a time. Um, as there's like a longer term sort of macro idea that's that's building behind it. Um, so like these downside targets, and I think I said this week that you know I'm stubbornly hanging on to these downside targets in the S&P 500, even though I think that in the short term we probably rally back up to the to the trend line, uh, which is which is quite a ways higher. It's probably like 10% up, right? Yeah. Um, but there is other information as well, which is that macroeconomic research where I'm starting to spend more and more time actually because it's fascinating number one uh, and I also think there's in there that I have these friends um, that are very helpful to understand right so um, yeah I'll basically try to read as much of that as I can sort of during the course of the week at least once a week sit down and go through every single chart and try to um, you know just try to approach it with a clear mind every now and then I have to say okay this chart I've had this idea. I've had this, this channel line up here a few months now. Maybe I've got it wrong. Please, you know, remove all the annotations back to it next week. Look at it again. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the intraday, really super actively speculative trading, I've not done a huge amount of intraday trading in, in some time. Um, I've learned, sadly, that I am temperament-wise not an intraday trader. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's awesome. I, I understand... The concepts I can see uh, what is necessary as a skill set to make it work. One of my colleagues, um, Jonathan, is a phenomenally good uh, intraday trader, um, but you know he he's got a skill set that I don't have, right? And I've got to acknowledge that. Like that's not uh, where my strength is. And um, but so you know my trading is more sort of looking at daily charts, you know, taking swing trades. Uh, you know, very clear parameters. If it breaks above this level and it closes there tomorrow morning, I'll buy it with a trailing stop here. I've also started using more and more uh, sort of volatility-based trading stops. So just ATR times two yeah. trailing stop. Once Average you've, range. Yeah. yeah, once you're, uh, you know, you've got a hard stop level when you enter them to the trade, once you've exceeded that and your ATR has dragged up to where the hard stop was, you switch to ATR and then just let the trade go. Right. Yeah. So that I've started finding uh, to be quite successful, although I have to admit that this year has been really, really tough for me. Um, you know, also my career kind of started 2010. Right. Yeah. Um, so I've not really seen a real proper bear market. And what happened in, uh, you know, 2020 was hard and fast and ugly, but it was over very quickly. Yeah. yeah. And this year is a lot different. Um to what that was. So I've been having a very hard time in the short term trading so far this year. Mm. The longer term stuff has been okay. Uh, I find that that's what I'm, I suppose, enjoying a bit more uh, because you could take longer term positions and that's more sort of strategic positioning. Um, and, you know, now we're holding a lot of cash and we're holding some commodities and we're holding some energy. And these are like sort of the thematic macro things. I think that are driving the market and that seems to be working really well. We're actually still positive on our portfolios, both locally and offshore for the year yeah. uh, on the long-term stuff, the short-term stuff. It's been wild. It's been really, really hard. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe it's, a, it's good that you ask these things because maybe it's a good time for me to sit down and think, well, hmm, maybe I should relook at my, my routine. Cause I remember many years ago, I had a much 
more firm routine. Although I was also then, you know, trying to day trade a lot more actively mm. in the market than what I am now. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah, I certainly find that having a proper routine and a structure to you know dictate what trades look like and it it helps. Um, mm. and that point about you made about over trading, and I think it's a it's an important thing to try and get to terms with as a trader. Is it? You shouldn't overtrade. You know, and you don't have to trade all the time. Being a trader doesn't necessarily mean that you're buying and selling a hundred times a day. Uh, it can yeah. be a lot less frequent than that. Some you know, it can be it can four be, times a year. Correct, and you're you still know? considered a trader. And exactly. I think one of the one of the biggest lessons that I'm, I guess, still learning, is that the money is actually made over time. Mm. You know, the really good trades take long to work out. Yeah. Um, I remember there was a client many years ago. I don't know if you'll see this, but um, you know, I put up a chart on an Aspen head and shoulders chart. Yes, and he was wouldn't believe it. And then you know, at some point, the thing started breaking, and he then phoned me up and he's, you know, that's that that was the catalyst. He's like, okay, I'm going to open an account with you because I saved him a huge amount of money because he had a lot of Aspen shares. Right, and. If you take that head and shoulders playing out, it took almost a year and a half for that thing to reach target, but it did, yeah. right? Yeah. If you were short that whole way, that was a massive trade, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and if you look at uh, you know, oil, for example, now, like in the offshore portfolios, we've been long oil for like two years. Mm -hmm. I think there's more to go, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we probably go back to that 130, maybe even above uh, a, a barrel kind of thing. And if that happens, then you're looking at uh, a lot of those oil ETFs, a lot of the oil producers, companies like Shell, these guys are going to make an enormous amount of money. Mm. Um, uh, but uranium is, is another great example of that. That uranium trade might take four or five years to play out, mm. but that's the kind of trade that you make a huge amount of upside on, right? Yeah. And I'm starting to learn that at least for me and for my personality type, you know, actively jumping in and out of the market five times a day is not as rewarding as finding an opportunity that's like an asymmetrical opportunity where you say, okay, we have an energy crisis. We have this a uh, lot of pressure to go green. The only real thing um, that is, you know, super efficient and relatively safe is, is uh, you know, nuclear energy. Mm. And we're fighting against it you know, tooth and nail. But the truth is at some point we're going to have to accept that this is the future, right? Mm. Um and if that happens, then we're well positioned to take advantage of that over the next five or 10 years. Yeah. And yeah. that's, those are the kind of ideas that I think uh, I've been a bit more successful at over the last years. And it took me flipping 20 years to figure that out, right? <laughs> well, this is it. Okay. So this is the last question because you're out of, out of time, um, almost out of time. It's taken you 20 years to figure this out, right? So two decades, you're, but you're not quite 40, you're late 30s, right? Oh, almost there. Um, okay. Almost there. there. So, so if you had to go back two decades, go back to 18-year-old Petri um, and give him some advice for the future about his trading career, what would you tell him now? Uh, don't sell so many stocks because you need the money. <laughs> um, I remember when I worked at Investec or at the bank, um, you know, I had a little trading account that I started every saving up a bit of cash in money market. And then it was like enough money. I could move it to the, the stockbroking accounts and then buy some stock. Some of the first things I was buying, well, I still have some stuff that was, you know, suspended and still is. Um, but there was Sassel and I think I got Telcom and Vodacom 
and uh, it was still SAP back then. And then some years went by and I wanted to start day trading and I needed a bit of capital and I'd now built up this little portfolio and I liquidated it. Mm. And if I think back now on how much money I would have made in those sassals, the dividends would have more than double paid for what I paid for the stock back then. And through the up and the down, I would have still made a fortune. Mm. So I think the the key is um, be, be more patient you know um and don't because yeah leverage kills number one yeah it's when you are too leveraged is when you take losses that you really don't need to take mm-hmm. uh and two always make sure that you have um something in the bottom drawer right so if you buy stuff with the idea that this is for long term even if it is you know 30 percent of what you can save in a month I can save a thousand rand a month, three hundred bucks, or whatever it is, or you know, whatever your individual numbers are. Um, take thirty percent of that stuff and stick it somewhere that you will never touch it. Um, look, there are obviously some things you might want to have sold, like Steinoff or whatever. But even through the years, you know, if you held your Steinoffs and you held your Capitex and you held your your Sassels and you held all your stuff, Steinoff can blow up every now and then. It's fine. Your portfolio will be fine over time. The market goes up over time. It grinds higher and you just need to be in it and in it for a long time. So yeah, listen to 18-year-old self, be more patient. Um, don't sell long-term investments to solve short-term problems. Yeah, good advice. Super, Petri. Well, it's been great speaking to you. We've come to the end of our time, so I'm going to wrap it up. But it's been excellent. Cool. Thanks very much for your insights and for your honesty and keep at the, the good work that you're doing. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me, man. It's a, it's a pleasure talking to you again. Good to be with you. All right. Take care, Petri. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.